0: Right. Well, again, welcome. Hope Lower Town. Just a quick uh, kind of family announcement here. So if you're visiting, checking out Hope, you can uh, just check out mentally here for just a minute. Giving a financial update uh, where we are at. Uh, So again, June 30th, that is our end of our fiscal year. Um, And so we've been been doing that for a while now where I think two, three years now that we've had uh, the fiscal year that we moved that to June 30th instead of December 31st. Um, and it's worked out well, Uh, and so I'm glad that we made that decision. Uh, But, that being said, we're kind of in our final push now, kind of right, you know, summer's getting started here. Uh, Oh no, it's officially, summer was on the 21st, right? Winter's coming, right? Uh, So, anyways, ah, where we're at. So let me give a quick update. Again, we are uh, one church uh, over, we are one church over two, uh, three three locations, not two, there's three of us. Uh, So there's Hope Community Church downtown Minneapolis, Hope Lower Town here in St. Paul and then Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. Um, And so we kind of all pool everything together and share resources, share staff, do all the different things. And so all the locations uh, that the monthly goal of June was $360,000. As of last Sunday, so this was actually a Monday. Monday I got the email, that's kind of how this works. I'm sure a little bit more has come in. We were at um, 248,000 and change came in, which is the monthly goal then for 111,000. I know that that's, that's less than that now. But for Lower Town, uh, just for us, for St. Paul, our goal was 30,000 just for the month of June. And over 14,000 of that has come in, meaning remaining for the next just week and a half, right? I think Wednesday, maybe even Thursday, I forget, is the, is the 30th. So that's what we have. Uh, time-wise, and so you're like, man, that's a lot of money to raise in a week and a half. And it is a lot of money, right? I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's not. I do want to just thank you, those of you who have been giving, because I do know that that number of the 14,085 is more than what normally comes in in any given month. And so if, if and I was just talking to Paul about this, um, one of our elders, that if, if, if that continued, we would be way in the black. Uh, we wouldn't have to do this year, year-end monthly push uh, if we just all did what we just did for this month. And so, I don't know. Maybe one of you gave a, a year-end gift and gave $5,000 last week. Maybe you did that. I have no idea. I don't know if it was one person. I don't know if it was 50 of us. Probably not 50. I don't know, whatever it may be, right? That being said, if we continue that trend, uh, really, guys, it, it opens up the gates of what we'd be able to do uh, in the church, in the community, uh, to be able to take that money and still be fiscally responsible on our end, uh, but be able to fix different things in the building, uh, be able to do things with partner ministries more. I'll be talking a little bit more about that in the next couple weeks, actually, um, but excited about some potential uh, things coming up in St. Paul. So, that's that. Uh, so let me go ahead and pray uh, again and just thank God for his generosity uh, as we uh, reflect on, on just the giving uh, here this, this month. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I love that I get to thank you for your generosity as I'm about to preach a sermon on your generosity, uh, that you are a gracious Heavenly Father, that you have uh, provided all, uh, so many of us with um, resources, the time, ability, our talents, to be able to, to sacrificially give back to you. And so I thank you for that. I just pray that our hearts would be in the right place uh, just for the rest of the, the next week and a half when it comes to finishing up these giving uh, of this year, the fiscal year, and, and then beyond. And that we would just really have a passion and a heart and desire um, to continue to make sacrifices for you. Um, and so we love you. And uh, thank you for all you're doing here in St. Paul. It's Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, we are in a summer series uh, that we've called Not Just Another Story. Again, we are going through Romans for a long time. We're going to be in there for a couple years. We're taking a break for the summer. We'll kick off uh, Romans again in the fall. But for the summer, we're doing what's called Not Just Another Story. We're looking at stories that Jesus tells, parables maybe, whatever it may be. It's maybe something that we might be familiar with. You grew up in the church. Or even if you didn't grow up in the church, you might be familiar with some of these stories. And, and that's gonna be the case uh, today. And so we will jump into Luke 11, five through 13. But before we get there, uh, this uh, is a picture of my kids. Apparently none of us except Emma knows where the camera is on my phone. Um, I don't know where we're looking, but we're looking somewhere. Um, and so Henry, my oldest, Jack, and then Emma, I think this is some random picture I took a couple weeks ago. We were, they wanted to do filters. You know, what so we said, can I do filters? and making them look old and have beards or whatever, you know, and they think it's the greatest, right? I love making my kids happy, right? As a a dad, uh, and I would imagine as a mom, that there's there's just no greater joy. There just really isn't that. When they get that belly-gut laugh, when they just can't stop themselves from laughing, it's unreal. Uh, and, and, and it just, it just it, you, you can't, it, there's, there's just no greater feeling. It just, it's un, it's it's amazing. And I love making my kids happy. I love making them happy. The thing is, they're children and they think they know what they want that will make them happy. And if I took Henry, my six-year-old, and I said, Hey, man, you can do whatever you want. Wouldn't they make a movie on that, like Yes Day or something like that? You can do whatever you want. We would be having spaghetti tacos, you know, or whatever, you know, just how it would work. And, and, and I know that my son would just play video games all day. And I, I love playing video games. I love it. I love playing video games. I love teaching my son how to play video games, but there's only so, many, so much time you're allowed to play video games and eat Cheetos. You just can't do that all day. It would kill you. It's not good for you. It's not healthy for you. And so when he comes to me and says, Daddy, can I play computer games? And I know if I said, yes, son, he would light up and it would make his day. But I know what's best for my son. And there are times where I have to say no to him and he doesn't understand. He gets angry. He gets mad. He gets bitter. But I didn't get to do that. I played the piano. I had practice today. And I, I did my reading lesson. I should be able to, I've earned this. And it's like, no, you don't. You don't just get to do what you want all the time, and I think we're going to see that in this passage, that our heavenly Father knows what's best for us. He has our best interest in mind, and sometimes we ask things, and he says no, and it's still good, and it's still gracious. This week we're going to be, I've titled this uh, Lord Teach Us to Pray. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15, specifically 5 through 13, but we're going to back up in the first four verses of this, but we're going to see the good gifts from the Father that meet our needs. So this is Luke chapter 11, I'm going gonna be starting in verse 1, uh, and again, I'll have all the scripture up on the screen, and uh, I use the NIV, uh, feel free to whatever translation you use, but I'll, be, I'll have the NIV up there for you says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. John, John the Baptist, Jesus' uh, older cousin, John the baptizer, he's back, we looked at this last week, he's baptizing people in repentance. I want to repent, and I want to have this outward demonstration of this inward reality. I'm a follower of Jesus now baptism of repentance, but this guy, John, has disciples. Okay, so just some random picture I found of someone, a rabbi, teaching his disciples. This is what would have happened. That when you were a teacher, when you were a rabbi, you had disciples, like, just like Jesus did, but this was a common thing. Uh, that you would have a teacher, rabbi just means teacher, and, and so they would go and they would teach in a public square, they would teach in private, and they always had this group of their, of their followers, of their disciples. And what would happen a lot of times is each rabbi or teacher would have a specific prayer, like their prayer. This is the prayer that I pray to God, and I want to teach all of you, my disciples, this prayer. And so Jesus' disciples come and they say, hey, Jesus, John, your cousin, he gave his disciples a prayer. Can you give us a prayer? This would have been a very common thing. Lord, teach us to pray, right? What, what is a prayer that you can give us as your followers And we can see, actually, when you look at the different gospel accounts, this probably wasn't the only time. When we talk about the Lord's prayer or Jesus' prayer for his disciples, this probably wasn't just a one-time thing that he said once, and then Matthew and Luke write it down. This probably was something they said quite regularly together, this Lord's prayer. So let's look at this. Just a quick, we're just going to walk right through this text and then get into the parable that Jesus is going to give In the name of the Holy Father is how we are uh, ought to pray. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Got a uh, commentary, just a quote here real quick from R.C. Sproul. He says this, in a sense, what Jesus says in this passage was of life and death significance for him. For it contains some words that his opponents would seize upon to charge him with blasphemy a charge that would eventually bring about his death. It is so commonplace for each of us today that we hardly notice the significance of it at all. The radical part of the prayer comes at the beginning, at the very beginning when Jesus tells them to address God as Father. Now, the vast majority of Christians, when they pray, address God as Father. This is something that we take for granted. But at this point in history, when this prayer was first uttered, it was an invitation of the most radical sort. We just say it. Our, yeah, Father, Heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven. We just say it. And we don't understand. Again, I, I think we understand, but this weighted significance of the idea of not just Yahweh, this unapproachable, seemingly huge, sovereign God. He's my dad. He, he's my father, Abba. I think sometimes we might miss that. But at the same time, it's not just a name of father. There's weight in names. In our in our culture, we don't really do this, right? I think that if you look up Brian means like little warrior or something like that. I don't know, right? Our names like kind of have a meaning, but nobody knows what it means and nobody cares. Right? But but in that culture, and it still is true in the Middle East that when someone has a name, there's weight to it. And so Jesus, Yeshua, meant Messiah. It meant like you're the Redeemer. There was weight to the name. And the same thing is going to happen here in this text, that the name of God is holy, that we can address him as holy father, hallowed be your name, that your name is who you are. It's not just what you are called. In Psalm chapter nine, verse 10, it says, and those who know your name put trust in you. Why would I put trust in somebody just for knowing their name? Because there's weight in the name. Again, Psalm 910 ends with, and you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who put their trust in you. So number one, the name of the Holy Father. Number two, for his kingdom to come. It says, your kingdom come. Now again, Luke's uh, uh, rendition of this prayer is gonna be different than Matthew's rendition, what we would say, call our Father or the the Lord's Prayer. This is kind of a truncated, abridged version uh, of this prayer. And so it's different. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means this is what Luke gave us versus what Matthew gave us. But when we say your kingdom come and Matthew says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is just an abridged way to say the same thing. Your kingdom come. And we could talk about what does that mean and what does it mean when when Matthew says I want your kingdom to come here and I want your will to be done here on earth just as it's being done in heaven. But I want to focus specifically on the your kingdom come that God, your kingdom should come. Because I think a lot of times, at least I know the way that I pray, a lot of times I'm asking for my kingdom to be established. I I want my health. I want my wealth. I want my prosperity. I want my comfort. I want my kids' health. I want my kingdom to be established and safe and secure. Well, maybe God's kingdom looks a little different than what I think I want for my kingdom. The emphasis here is that your kingdom come. Third point here, meet our daily needs. Again, verse three, give us each our daily bread. This might be Captain Obvious, but they didn't have plastic bags to wrap their fresh baked bread in. Uh, I just saw a tweet the other day. It was like, I don't like the person I become when I'm around warm bread. (laughs) That was pretty... That was good, I like that. Uh, all right. this, this would have been happening all the time. Right? They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have the ways to preserve bread. And so it would have been baked fresh every day other than the Sabbath, but they would have cooked fresh bread and they would have done this and they, and they needed it every day. They would have gotten stale and gross and old. And this daily bread is, again, this daily need. And so Jesus is teaching his followers, his disciples, and then now obviously us, that when we pray, we pray for his kingdom to be established and give us our daily need, not our desires and wants. Can we make those petitions to God? Sure, but it's probably the same way as if my son keeps coming to me, Dad, I want to play the computer, I want the computer, I want to the computer. Like, you don't need that. That's not a need, it's a want, it's very different. Give us our daily bread, give us our, our needs, daily, fresh, always in front of us, all the time. That's who our Father is. He says, forgive us as we help us forgive. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Literally, this idea here of the sins against us, that phrase, or uh, everyone who sins against us, quite literally, is those who we are indebted to, or those who are indebted to us the same thing. There's a debt to be paid. That's what forgiveness is. When we look at forgiveness, right, two times here, forgive me as I forgive others. And forgiveness simply is taking on the responsibility and the pain, the hurt on myself and absolving them of that debt. Somebody does something to me, hurts me, steals money from me, Right? Somebody. Let's just let's just take that example. Someone takes some money from me, steals money. Who's not my wife? I'm kidding. I steal money from her. That's how that works. Uh, if someone steals money from me, and I say I forgive you of that debt, I absolve you of that debt, then who has to bear the responsibility or the payment? I do. The one who is offended. The one who is stolen from. Listen, <laughs> that is Christianity. That is the cross. We are the ones who are stealing. We are the ones who are, who are in debt to God the Father. We are the ones who have committed sin. We are the ones who worship the creation over the creator. And then he says to us, if you want, I will forgive you. And then if we then say, yes, I would like to be forgiven of my debt, and then God says, great, then I will forgive you of that. But I can't just forgive it because I'm just. I have to be just just and a justifier. I want to justify you, but there needs to be a payment. And Jesus is like, I'll do it. I'll take the payment that they couldn't pay. I will die. I will suffer on the cross. I will pay for their sins. And then we are absolved completely, 100%, no more debt. But Jesus doesn't just say, okay, well, hey, you're debt-free. Now get out of here and don't do it again. He says, come down. Sit with me. You are my brother. You are my sister. Let's feast together. That's Christianity. Christianity. And so when we forgive somebody of even just the slight, someone makes fun of me or teases me, and I'm like, man, that really hurt me. And we go to them, and we say, man, I, I, just, I feel uncomfortable with this thing you said. And it's like, man, will you forgive me? I just had Jack the other day for the first time not forgive me <laughs> when I, 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 I lost it a little bit on him. And I was like, Jack, I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? I, I shouldn't have, have, have talked to you like that. And he was like, no, I'm not forgiving you. And it's like, Ooh. I did not see that coming, man. Like, no, 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 you, you have to forgive me because I'm going to feel guilty all day. Oh, you, know, you, can't, you can't do that. That's what forgiveness is, right? It's little Jack saying, Dad, yeah, you're right, you were wrong, but I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. Relationships don't work without forgiveness. We have to continually forgive one another as we have been forgiven by the Father. The fifth quick point here in this prayer that we see is to help in temptation. The text here in Luke says, and lead us not into temptation. Temptation is a a tricky word, and it can be translated and is translated into temptation in three different words in the Greek. And we're not gonna get into the language, we're not gonna do all that, but there's three different ways that we can look at temptation. The first one uh, is an internal temptation. Right, I have this vice, I have this urge, I have this thing. Right, it's, it's me. I see something and there's this immediate temptation that urges up inside of me. That's a temptation internally. That's one way to look at temptation. The other way, the second way to look at temptation is something outside of me enticing me. Whether it's the devil or it's this thing that it may be. Uh, Angel and I started doing this thing. I probably should check with this illustration. I'm not sure if this is okay. I'm gonna say it anyways. Uh, we recently went and saw Hamilton. Thank you, they gave us some tickets, uh, <laughs> James and Sarah. So we went and saw Hamilton recently. Where was that, Ordway? Doesn't matter, downtown Minneapolis, one of the theaters downtown. This is great. If you haven't seen Hamilton, I encourage you to see it. Well, we do this thing now when we see something, usually me, when I see someone who has a new Jeep and not a 30-year-old Jeep, Uh, We break out in a song and we go, it must be nice, it must be nice. (laughs) Right, we kind of do that when we see something that we want. We just both start singing this song, right? I know maybe I shouldn't be making light of temptation because there is outside temptation that's real, right? And and, and so lead us not into outside, external temptation. The third way that that word temptation can be used is God putting us to the test. Scripture is explicitly clear. That God does not tempt us, right? God doesn't put something in front of you to entice you and tempt you to sin. He doesn't do that, but He will test, and there is a difference. For example, when Jesus, right after He is right, He, he gets baptized by John the Baptist by his by his cousin. He gets baptized, and then what happens? The voice, the Father says, "This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased." It says immediately after that. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In that story, we have the third use. He was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tested. But he was tempted externally, number two, by the devil. And again, what does the devil do? He says, I want you to doubt the words of God. If you're the son of God, if I'm the son of God, God just said, this is my son. No, 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 if you're the son of God, turn turn these stones into bread. So this passage specifically here is looking at the second one. Right? Lead us not into temptation. Like, Help us avoid these things. If, if I struggle uh, with, with being an alcoholic and all of a sudden my party's having a happy hour, maybe I shouldn't go to that place where I might get tempted. Just don't, lead us not into temptation. That's this phrase that's being said here, this prayer of help us avoid the devil or something else enticing me. Now, normally what happens is we get to the end of this passage or the end of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and we stop. Jesus taught us how to pray. He taught his disciples, this is how we pray. And so we say our fathers and we do all these things. We recite this prayer. But the thing is, Jesus doesn't stop here, at least not in Luke. He keeps going. He's still answering the question, Jesus, teach us to pray. And he says, when you pray, say, and then he says, continued, then Jesus said to them. So he gives them the prayer, and then he breaks out into a story. And he says this. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Again, there's that bread. There's this daily need that's happening here. It's late at night. This guy ate all of his bread. Maybe this guy has some leftover. I need three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine Uh, A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside, this neighbor, says, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. Again, he's teaching them how to pray and this is the story that he tells. This is the parable that he breaks out. William Barclay, he says this in his commentary, the late arrival of the traveler confronted the householder with an embarrassing situation because his larder was empty. I had to look up. What in the world is a larder? That's British for pantry. Uh, I'm assuming there's not a bunch of lard in it. I don't know where that came from. Uh, the larder. Uh, pantry. Because it was He had saved him from an embarrassing situation because his pantry was empty and he could not fulfill the sacred obligations of hospitality. Late as it was, he went out to borrow from a friend. The friend's door was shut. In this part of the world, no one would knock on a, on a shut door unless the need was imperative. In the morning, the door was opened and remained open all day for there was little privacy. But if the door was shut, that was a definite sign that the householder did not wish to be disturbed, but the seeking householder was not deterred. He knocked and he kept knocking." So what's going on here? Jesus uses now a parable to get his point across. This is how you pray. Let me give you the prayer that you wanted. But now I want to get a little bit deeper. I want to get deeper on how we pray. And I'm going to get deeper by sharing this story. So the story then continues. I tell you, Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. We have to be really careful here not to turn this parable into allegory. Allegory is like uh, Pilgrim's Progress or something where you have something that means a one-for-one equivalent. In the Pilgrim's Progress, when you have Christian, (laughs) He's a little Christian. When you have a friend whose name is Mercy, they embody and personify Mercy. You see this, how this works, it's a one for one. We gotta be really careful not to allegorize parables, or else you end up making yourself the hero of the story of I'm the person who's in need, and I'm doing the right thing, and I'm gonna go to my neighbor, and I'm gonna get some food for my friend. And God then becomes not so good of a neighbor he becomes this begrudging, annoyed person who has the resources that just doesn't want to give them up. But because of your persistence, you keep it up, and then he gets annoyed enough to say, sure. As if my six-year-old's like, Dad, I want to play the computer. No. Dad, I want to play the computer. No. Dad, I want to play the computer. Oh, fine. That's not this situation. That's not what's happening. This is not allegory. And we have to be really careful to not treat this as allegory. Who's the traveler in the story? I don't, I don't know. The traveler personifies sin. What, what, no, you can't do that. You can't start doing one for one. Now listen, I am not trying to diminish and, 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 and say this isn't about Uh, persistence in prayer. I think that that's actually pretty clear, not just in this text, but Jesus tells other stories about the persistent widow, about praying. The Apostle Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says he goes to to God three different seasons to remove this thorn in the flesh. I think the persistence uh, in prayer is a good thing, but I don't think that's the main point of this text. The main point of Jesus telling this story is like God's really annoyed with you. He's asleep and he's kind of grumpy, but keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, and then you'll get what you need. I think we're missing a greater point. So before we answer that, we have to ask this question What is a parable, and what is the main point of this parable? So let's look at this. What is a parable? A parable quite literally means to throw alongside. It's parrot. Throw alongside of something else. That's what it means. Uh, We talked about um, uh, Saint Augustine, and when he talks about his biblical interpretation, how do we read our Bible? He says there's three rules to reading our Bible: context, context, context. There are three rules when it comes to interpreting a parable that we have to remember: illustration, illustration, illustration. It's not allegory. Jesus will use similes and metaphors in his parables. The kingdom of God is like, I am a door. I am, the, he uses those. That's, but it's going alongside something else and it usually has one meaning. And the meaning here, the one main meaning is not persistence. The one main meaning here is, how do we pray to a benevolent God? How do we pray to our Father in heaven, there's so much something I think deeper and more profound than just persistence. I think it's more than that. I think Jesus wants us to get a glimpse of who the Father is. It is a it's what's what's called a, a principle of comparison. I think it's a lot more than just persistence. When we look at the kingdom of God, which is usually what every parable that Jesus teaches about, it's it's, it's showing us this is the way the kingdom of God works. And when he says the kingdom of God is like a man who, who finds a buried treasure and he goes and he sells everything he has to go purchase this land so he can get this treasure. And we start going one for one and we go, okay, well then am I, am I this person? Do I need to sell all of my possessions? Do I need to go buy a land and go treasure hunting? Wrong. That's not a good way to interpret the parable. There's something greater, deeper, that in the, even in that parable of saying it's the kingdom of God, and when we get a glimpse, when we get a taste of how amazing the treasure is of the kingdom of God. I am willing to give up everything, including my family and friends and job and my reputation, in order to pursue Christ. So, what is it then here that's being thrown aside? What is the story that Jesus is, is uh, the story he's, he's putting alongside of something else? And I think it's who is this generous God who the generous God of this kingdom is and how we pray to that generous God. Again, it's a parable of comparison. It's so much more than just two neighbors, one in need and one who has resources. It's more than that. It's a generous God, again, and again, he's gonna, he's gonna share this, because so when we get to what is the point of the parable, well, again, context, context, context. We stop where we just stopped, and we go, oh, that's kind of confusing. It kind of sounds like Jesus, or God the Father, is kind of doing this begrudgingly because we keep asking him. Jesus answers it. Jesus kind of explains this then in the rest of this passage. He says this, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be opened. Do you see? If you go allegory, the first within the parable, it seems again, God is not generous. He's doing this because he has to, he's doing this because he's annoyed. And then you now have the answer. I say to you, ask, what's the comparison? The comparison is to a neighbor who's a little frustrated, and the comparison then is to a gracious heavenly father. And he's going to make another comparison. The comparison is to like a father on earth who's evil. Compared to a gracious heavenly father, this is the father of the kingdom. I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who finds, the one who seeks finds. No one who knocks, the door will be open. That if you have a need, and again the imperative word there is need, and we pray and we ask God the Father for it, he will meet our needs. That's what he does. He's a good dad. And there are times then where he doesn't. He might open the door and say, yeah, not today, and shut it in our face. But that's what a good father does. Then he goes on, continuing, which of your fathers, again, this comparison now, again, which of your fathers, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? There's part of being a dad, I think, that I, I, do, I joke a lot with my kids, probably a little too much. Uh, every time I do, I, I like hear, like, uh, do not uh, exasperate your children from Ephesians. Like, Dads, don't exasperate your son. I probably do that way too much. It right? uh, happened a couple days ago. We are at a party at my sister-in-law's house, and one of my kids, my four-year-old, comes up, Jack, and he's like, Dad, I go to the bathroom. I'm like, this is, you're outside. Go to the bathroom. Right? And it's like, okay, I'm joking. Go inside, go to the bathroom. Right? And I remember my mother-in-law was like, you clearly are raising boys. And I was like, "Eh, yeah, you're probably right. I probably wouldn't have said that to my daughter. But what if I did? Right? I mean, can you imagine if my actual attitude would have been like, no, you can't go to the bathroom. Hold it, right? I remember when I was a kid, uh, I still joke about this with my wife. When I was a kid and I would go to my mom and I'd say, mom, I'm thirsty. She would say, spit up in the air and catch it. (laughs) That was the the phrase. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Okay, like that was, that was it, because there's no water. I guess what else are we going to do? It was the 80s. There's no water anywhere in the 80s, except from a hose outside. That was the only place of water. I'm joking. The comparison here, obviously, right? I think it, Jesus makes it obvious. We have this story, and what's being thrown alongside is that we have a gracious, heavenly Father who loves us, who cares for us, who only has our best interest in mind, and he wants us to pray. When you pray, when you pray, you should be praying, you pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed is your name, your kingdom come. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive others who sin against us. And we do that knowing the Father that we're praying to is good and gracious. I had to do the obligatory quote here from Tim Keller. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. That's the kind of access that we have to our gracious, loving, heavenly father. He is good, and he is king, and he's a good king. There's something about my kids that when they wake me up in the middle of the night, which happens a lot, happens all the time, and usually it is something that they need. One of them's having a night tear. I I, there's nothing else I want to do right now than to comfort my child. You're not bugging me, you're not, I'm not thinking about oh, I'm gonna be so tired for work tomorrow, I don't think about that. I want to take care of your need. Daddy, I really need some water. Let's get some water, let me get it for you. Don't even get out of bed, <laughs> right? Just stay there, stay half asleep, that's okay. We have that kind of access. And that's what Jesus, I really think, is trying to get across in this parable. This comparison is that I, being evil as a dad, know what's best for my kid. And if I'm evil and selfish, and I still know what's best for my kid, how much thinking more does our Heavenly Father know what's best for us? That's the comparison. He is our Father who is in heaven. Another thing that I think is worthy of pointing out is why is it the disciples don't ask Jesus for something else? Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. Hey Jesus, that whole walking on water thing, that would be really cool to learn. I'm a fisherman, it could come in handy. They don't do that. They say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And I think, and I don't think I have to read between the lines too much to see that the disciples observed a connection between the prayer life of Jesus and the miracles that he was able to perform. There was something that he did, and he said, what was it? He was in tune, in tune with the Holy Spirit. He was always praying. What's interesting that I think we miss a lot in this text, though, too, let me go back and read this again. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then. Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What is our daily bread? What is our daily need? I think what Jesus is teaching here is we need Him. We need the Spirit, and I don't. I'm, I'm guilty of this. I probably don't pray for the Spirit enough. Have you ever actually prayed for more Spirit? That's what Jesus he said. He's gonna, that's a. That's a need that you have and the Father is good. If we give good gifts, how much more of a good gift and what is the more of the good gift that God the Father is gonna give? The Spirit. Again, it's not comfort, it's not money, it's, it's not protection, it's just not, it's just not here. Holy Spirit is, needs are, our daily bread. So again, I think Jesus is telling them, if you want your prayers answered, <laughs> then let's pray to our gracious heavenly father. So an application here, you have a father in heaven, a father, Abba, Abba, just dad. Just, there's nothing, I, my kids, uh, Jack especially now, Henry is a hit or miss, He's getting older. He's kind of getting out of the daddy, you know, phase. He doesn't call me, call me daddy anymore. He's dad now, right? Jack's still, I'm daddy to, to Jack. And, and for sure, Emma. <laughs> I'll always be her daddy. <laughs> That's not ever going to change. Jack, though, th- th- what will happen when I do this to my kids all the time? I'll get them something. You know, dad, can you please get me an orange? Yep, and I'll give them the orange, and I hand it to them, and then silence, or they run away. And I always go, Thanks, dad. Right, I just always do that, right? And, they, and they've caught on and they start doing it, but, but I'll say, thanks, Dad, and then Jack always says, thanks, Daddy. And I, I again, it just melts me. Like, I, I am your dad. I mean, you're not just repeating, thanks, Dad, because I said, thanks, Dad. You're doing it because you actually are thankful for your dad doing something for you. We have a father. And again, I, my dad died when I was a kid. This, I, this is so powerful. Whether you have an estranged dad, no dad, you have a great relationship with your dad, he's better. (laughs) I have a father in heaven that is good and only has your best interest in mind. That's it. He loves you and cares for you and there are going to be times where he's going to shut the proverbial door or close a window or whatever it may be or, or, or teach you a lesson sometime that's difficult and hard. He only has your best interest in mind all the time. I have to tell that to my kids all the time. And I only want what's best for you. That's why I'm not letting you eat Cheetos at 10 o'clock. That's why you shouldn't be awake at 10 o'clock at night. So then, in addition to that, you have a heavenly Father that is good and only has your best interest in mind, so pray. We, we get to pray. We have the ability to communicate with the creator of the universe as our father. So pray. I think that's the comparison that Jesus is trying to make in this passage. We're going to have communion. Uh, we do this every week here at Hope Lower Town, And so we have the elements up front here. We've got the wafer that represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. We have the, the juice that represents his blood that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins that he takes upon himself, our sins, so that we can be forgiven. Our debt can be paid in full completely. It is finished. And it is because of that finished work of Jesus on the cross that we get to pray to the creator of the universe. Father our heavenly, holy Father. So as we take these elements, all I would ask is that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you say, yes, I actually have that forgiveness. I love that Jesus has forgiven me and he's called me his, his brother, he's called me his sister, and we get to, uh, together, go to the Father. I would love for you to partake of these elements, to remember the finished work of Christ. So we're gonna take these elements. The worship team's gonna sing a uh, couple songs, Uh, and then we will be dismissed. Let me pray as the worship team makes their way up here. Heavenly Father, again, just just even now, it's so easy to just be flippant with that phrase. Our Father, who is in heaven, you are seated on your throne, you are good and gracious, you only have our best, best interest in mind. Would you help us just know that, to feel that, to see that? even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of temptation, to know that you're good. And you've got us. You're never gonna leave us, you're never gonna forsake us, you're never gonna turn your back on us because your son finished the work on the cross and we are completely forgiven. Full atonement. Can it be? God, we love you. And we know that you love us more than we could ever possibly imagine. We thank you for these gifts and this meal that we're about to receive as far as remembering the finished work of Christ. We love you and thank you for all you're doing and all you will do. And it's in the name of your son, in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.